everybody, those of you online. I'm going to dismiss our kids, so if you want to head through that door, Sarah's going to be waiting for you. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Um, and while they're heading out, I just say, maybe you already feel this, the service is going to be a bit of a roller coaster, I think. You're going to have some ups and downs. You'll understand what I mean by the time we get to the end, but we celebrate Shiloh and new life, and then Larry shares about someone who passed away, but this person is with Jesus. You know, it's just ups and downs. Uh, we want to just take a moment and celebrate. I don't know how many grads we have in here, but people graduated, so let's clap for our grads. <laughs> Um, congrats to those of you if you're watching online or I don't know if you're in here. Some, maybe some of you are in here. But um, I'm going to celebrate you guys. And I'm sure Kyle will track down pictures and we can embarrass you with awesome pictures about what you're doing next in life, whether you graduated from high school or college. But we celebrate with you. It's super exciting. Uh, and then I just want to, if, if you haven't been getting the emails, we went uh, optional with masks this week. Um, so I told first service, I noticed when people were coming in, we're still trying to carry our masks around. I noticed that anytime somebody came in with a mask on, everybody in the lobby put a mask on. Thank you. We want to lead with love. Uh, we want to do this well. I think all of these transitions are hard for everybody. Um, I know some of you have very difficult jobs when it comes to this stuff. So, um, but thanks for your patience. I, 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 I never say we're doing this perfect, but we're, we're trying to aim at love and we're willing to correct course as we go, but thanks for your patience. Um, it was cool, though. I mean, there's somebody here who, who showed me in their Bible. They had a, a bulletin from March 8th. So that's the last time I was in church was March 8th, a year ago. So, so something's happening, and that's good. We're getting to see each other again. Um, so yeah, let me pray, and then we'll jump in this morning. Uh, Jesus... Um, just thinking about what we're going to talk about, I, I think I'm going to ask that you would remind us, maybe I'll just use Paul or John's language in Revelation, maybe would you remind us of our first love? Maybe that's what I want to ask. We could ask a lot of things, but we'll ask that. As we journey together for the next few minutes, would you remind us of our first love? Amen. I want to start, we're going through, I told first service I was going to be shorter with my message, but I'm not sure how much shorter I was, so we'll see. We've got a couple other things this morning, but um, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it's only four verses, so I should be shorter, uh, but I'm, I'm not making any promises. Uh, we're just going through the letter that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth around the year 55, a long time, it's an ancient letter. And I just want to read the first verse as we're introing in, and then we'll read the whole section later. But Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Run that you might win. Run to get the prize. Now, I was excited about this. Many of you know I'm a runner. I've been a runner for a long time, so I get this metaphor. Well, mostly. I'll explain in a second. But I'm often jealous. We got some of you in our church family who are farmers or you work in agriculture, and I'm jealous because I feel like sometimes you have access to some of these biblical metaphors that kind of go over my head. And when I talk to you and listen to you, I'm like, oh, I understand it more. But I get this one. I get this one about running. I was thinking about it. Running has really been a grace in my life. It has been a place, honestly, my wife and I run together. It's been a place for us to talk about things I pray frequently when I run. I've wrestled with many an issue. I've gotten sermon ideas 
while running, just praying and running. I started really running. You know, you might say run for fun, which some of you think is impossible, but I do. I started really running when my dad, this goes back to my dad. You guys know my dad died when I was 11. My dad had been in the army. He had been really fit, and he had kind of gotten out of shape, and he wanted to get back in shape. So he started running again, and he started doing, they didn't do 5Ks, they did 2-milers. And he started running 2-miles, and I was running with him. It's actually how we kind of started to identify he had cancer because he ran really well for a year, and then he just started getting really slow and tired, and he didn't know why, and doctors finally found out he had lung cancer. It was pretty advanced, and you guys know that story. But it takes me back to running with my dad. I got, I got running in junior high. But in high school, I, I was actually like a good runner. Not great. I never ran at state. No college would have looked at me. But I was a good runner, and I kind of I understand, especially my senior year, I understand what it means to run to win, to train to win, to run to win. My, my senior year, you're supposed to be your best, usually your senior year in cross country. I, I wasn't that great. I had better years before. I sprained my ankle playing basketball over the summer before my senior year, and I was on crutches, and I missed a whole month of training. Really killed my cross country season. But my track season started. I was back in good shape again. And lo and behold, I mean, the mile, I used to think I was a better, di- but the mile became my favorite race. It's just a little Northern Lakes League in Toledo, Ohio, nothing, nothing extravagant. But in our league meets, I was winning every mile. Now, not the invitationals on the weekend. Again, I'm not, some, I'm not, I'm not trying to have something fantastic, but I was a good runner. And I, was running, and, I was, and I was getting excited, and my coach was coaching me up, and I started to believe maybe I could win league. And actually, I went undefeated during our regular season, but going undefeated doesn't mean anything. If you're going to be league champ, you have to win the mile at the league meet. And I'll never forget that day. I was, I was all excited. I knew I had a chance. I was looking around. I knew everybody I was running against. There were no new faces. And the race began, and I was off. I ran the best race of my life. I will never do this again, but I'll just tell you, I ran a 432. That's not bad, right? 432 miles. We ran a 432 mile, and I was running, and I was cruising around. I'm in my last lap, 200 meters to go, and there were three of us at the front. And I'm like, I want to win. i got to win. I'm, I haven't lost all year in league. I can't lose in the league meet. So I kick it up another notch, and I feel myself pulling away. Pretty excited. But it's still half a, half a track loop to go. And so I get to about 100 meters left. And actually, when you're, at the, when you're at the league meet, the stands are filled. It's not like that all the time, but the, league, the stands are filled. And everybody's cheering. And I can tell, you know, you can't look behind you when you're sprinting at the end of a race. But I can tell one of the kids is coming. He's kicking it at the 100-meter mark. And he's, I can just tell by the way people, the way people are screaming, the facial expressions on the periphery, he's coming. And I'm running as fast as I can. And I just barely hold him off. You think I'm exaggerating. Here's a picture from the newspaper. That's me right there. That's the league meet. I just, Nolan, that is at the finish line. I knew Nolan because he's a cool guy. He's a sophomore. I'm a senior. That's, I mean, seniors are supposed to be sophomores. But I just, I just barely won. I was league champ. I know what it means to run for a goal, to win. Now, some of you run, and you run just for fun, and you don't run to win. I don't really run to win anymore. I was thinking back a few years ago, Kami and I ran the hot chocolate run downtown Chicago. Great idea. You get up in the morning, you run, you finish, you drink chocolate milk, drink hot chocolate, and eat Ghirardelli chocolate. It's a great breakfast, really good. (laughs) Highly recommend it. But Jay was a lot younger. This was before we came to Crossview, and my mom had come and stayed with us, and she was watching Jay while we ran 
And I finished the race, and I'm much slower now than I was back in high school. But I still felt pretty good about having run the race the way I did. And I come up to my mom, and my mom's like, Jay's all excited, right? Just saw mom and dad run. And my mom says to me, you know, I saw the first runners go by, so I started looking for you. You were so much farther back than I thought you'd be. So thanks, Mom. Anyway, I don't run to win anymore. I'm not, I'm not winning any races anymore. But you understand what Paul's getting at in this analogy. He's actually, I mean, he's primarily talking about Olympians. If you're going to run, run to win. And it got me thinking, we're going to talk about a couple things, and we'll read the text in just a second. But, but, but I remember my senior year, I ran to win. I remember that. I remember pushing myself I remember denying myself. I remember everything was about, I wanted to win that final track. And years ago, when I was first learning this Jesus walk of discipleship, I remember one of my mentors, one of the primary teachers who helped me understand the gospel. So there's a lot of ways that we can go about defining what it means to be a Christian. But at the end of the day, he said, I like to say it this way. A Christian is somebody who wants to be one. A Christian is somebody who wants to be one. A Christian is somebody who looks at Jesus and says, that's that's what I want. That's all I want. I want Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. I want to learn from Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. I want to show mercy like Jesus. I want to lead like Jesus. I want to, I want, whatever, when I look, that's what I want. I want Jesus. That is what I want is Jesus. That's what a Christian is. You guys have heard me say this, and you're repeating it back to me, so I think it's sticking. But I've said frequently, you'll never drift into the Jesus life. If you don't really want it, you'll drift, and you'll drift somewhere else, but it won't be the Jesus life. But a Christian is somebody who wants the Jesus life, who aims at the Jesus life. Their goal is Jesus. Their purpose is sharing the love of Jesus being with Jesus. It's somebody who can, who can cry out with Peter. Lord, to whom else would we go? I've looked around. There's other people we could follow. There's other teachers. There's other leaders. But you alone, Jesus. You alone have the words of eternal life. Other people walk, I'm sticking with you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. You're all I want. So with that in mind, let's keep reading. I'll reread verse 24. We'll just finish chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run so you may obtain it. Run to win. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. It's just, again, work the metaphor. That's what athletes do. They exercise self-control in all things. And they do it, why? Because they want to win. They want to receive the trophy, the prize. Paul calls it a perishable wreath. And his argument is how much more then should we keep our eyes on Jesus and run after Jesus because our trophy is unperishable. It's incorruptible. It's eternal. It's amazing. Let's talk a second about self-control before we keep reading. I said this last week. I want to say it again, but you think about it in terms of athletics. Having self-control, or we'll talk about discipline as we keep journeying through this, means saying no to what I want now so I can have what I really want later. (laughs) 
saying no to something I want, that I can have, that I have freedom to have, so that I can say yes to something I want even more. It's a big part of the discipleship journey. There's lots of things that you want that you can have, but they may get in the way of ultimately fully devoting yourself to Jesus. Or one of the ways I like to talk about it in our discipleship pathway, you've heard me say this, but I like to bring it up again and again because I think it's important. I like to call it the problem of pleasure. I I submit to you that in a broken world, every kind of pleasure comes with pain. The question is just, does the pain come before the pleasure or after? We live in a world where we are told the best thing that could happen is immediate gratification. Immediate gratification, no pain, just pleasure. But the truth is, and you know this if you actually stop to think about it, every kind of pleasure that comes to you with immediate gratification always brings some kind of pain on the back end. And the greatest pleasures, the ones that you and I long for, the ones that bring deep soul health and rest and significance and purpose and joy and hope, it it always comes with crucifixion before resurrection. That's why Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. You need to trust me. And you need to deny yourself some pleasures that, yes, you can have. But I'm telling you, if you can say no to those, the pleasures awaiting you are so much greater. It's what we like to call delayed gratification. It's actually a beautiful thing. You and I know very little of it, honestly, in our culture today. But we need to relearn it. (laughs) And if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will. You will relearn it. Exercise the self-control in all things for an imperishable wreath or trophy. So what does he say? Verse 26, I don't run aimlessly. I don't drift. I keep my eyes locked on the prize. Now I resonate with this this metaphor of running and because of that I'm really skinny. I've always been skinny. But he's going to transition to a metaphor of boxing. I've never boxed anyone in my life because I know I would lose. (laughs) But here he says, I don't box as one beating the air, which is a a funny picture, right? Just swinging at nothing. It's, It's aimless. It's pointless. Paul says, I discipline my body. I discipline who I am. I keep myself under control because I'm preaching the gospel. I'm planting churches. I'm shepherding people. And after I preach to others, I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to look at my coach and have him say, oh, man, you got to sit this one out. You're not on the team. <laughs> Paul's always, he's always working with warning and assurance, and we'll talk more. I mean, he's, but but you feel the metaphor. Just feel the metaphor. Train in a way that you're locked in on the prize. Don't drift so that you're disqualified, so that you missed out. You do everything right, but you miss out on the championship game. So let's talk a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about the prize. I did some thinking about the prize. On one level, I've already said it. The prize, the purpose, our goal is Jesus. Being with Jesus. Living like Jesus. Loving like Jesus. We're on a journey of who we're becoming, and we're becoming like Jesus. But in other places, Paul will kind of talk metaphorically about the prize, and he'll call it a crown. The crown of righteousness. The crown of glory. The the crown of life. But I was thinking, I don't know about you, I, I I I didn't grow up in a monarchy. I mean, none of my political leaders wear crowns. It doesn't, honestly, if you say crown to me, the first thing I think of, honestly, is that my wife, Kami, grew up in a town where they called crayons crowns. So we've had a 20-year debate about whether it's a crayon or a crown. (laughs) It's a crayon. 
I got the mic, Kimi. Or if you say you have a crown, I might think you're going to the dentist, right? That's what I think of. You know, if something's wrong with your teeth, I'll pray for you. But Paul means so much more when he says, right? So, so I, was trying, I was just really in my prayer time, Jesus, and I do this often, help me. I, I, I mean, I personally want to understand, what is the prize? I mean, I know you're the prize, but can you give me more language or a metaphor that's more accessible? Or maybe in our competitive culture, a metaphor that's not so much about me winning while other people are losing. We'll talk a little bit about that. But you guys know I pray the Beatitudes daily. Uh, and they have been instrumental in my efforts to keep Jesus at the center of my formation and not my own desires or my own feelings, right? We can do that, but then we're not ever changing. We just stay the same because our feelings and our desires stay at the center of our formation. I want to be transformed. I want our church to be transformed. I don't want to be a transactional church. I want to be a place of genuine transformation. And so, Jesus, what does it look like what does this prize look like? How can I think about this? And I pray through the Beatitudes. And on, on one level, I usually focus the most. The Beatitudes are all paired up, and I usually focus on the first half of their pairing. Blessed are, blessed are, which really, in a sense, we'll read through them in a second, really, in a sense, tells you who the winners are, honestly, right? In the kingdom of God, who's blessed? Who's really winning in the kingdom of God? We'll talk a little bit about that, but I want to focus a little bit more because of the metaphor Paul's giving us on the second half of these Beatitudes, because I think Jesus is giving us language to get our minds around what is the imperishable wreath that we get if we keep our eyes on Jesus. What does he promise? Because we can, sometimes we, sometimes we think Jesus has promised things he's never promised. Or sometimes we find ourselves wanting or thinking we need things. You see, you don't need that. I never said you were getting that. <laughs> but this is what he said. This is from the lips of Jesus. The Beatitudes. Again, they're things, I pray them daily because they're, they're, they're almost unbelievable. If Jesus hadn't said them, I would never believe them. You're telling me they win? No way, Jesus. That's what Jesus says. So let's journey through these eight Beatitudes. First off, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you read through the Gospels, and if you haven't done it for a while, read through the Gospels. The kingdom of God is what Jesus is casting a vision for what he's coming to do, and he talks about the kingdom of God. So many of his parables begin, the kingdom of God is like this, right? Someone who finds a treasure in a field and sells everything he has to go buy the field because he knows the value of the treasure. He talks about the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God, the way I've been thinking about it lately is that, and you've heard me say this, but the world is arranged in a certain way. It's not good. God created the world, it was good, but sin has entered the world, and humanity has arranged the world, and the powers and principalities and the prince of darkness have had a lot of say in how the world is currently arranged. It's not good. That's why Jesus is coming. That's why we need Jesus, because he's rearranging the world. And the way Jesus is arranging the world around an axis of love is called the kingdom of God. Now here, Jesus is going to say the Beatitudes with the Sermon on the Mount, but I do believe he taught what he was teaching on more than one occasion. So in Matthew's gospel, you get the Beatitudes up front and you get the woes, really back in Matthew. You get them much later, Matthew 23. The woes and the blessings, Beatitudes don't go together. But in Luke's gospel, Jesus is teaching and the blessings and the woes go side by side. And I think a big thing of what what, what the gospel writers are saying, what Jesus is communicating is, 
This is true. Everywhere Jesus goes, if you read, everywhere he goes, change happens. He's changing. Everything he touches changes. And there's a sense that if you like the status quo, you look around, you're like, hey, I like the world the way it is. Jesus is coming to you and he's saying, woe to you. Woe to you. Because I'm bringing change. And if you don't want change, you're not going to like what I'm doing. But if you can find, and there's other ways you could say, but I'll just say this morning, if you can find, if you can remember what I'll call your place of poverty, if you can identify your place of need, maybe it's obvious morality, maybe it's relational, maybe it's emotional, I, mean, I don't know, there's, there's so, but if you can find your place of poverty and remind yourself why you need the world rearranged, it will serve you on your journey of transformation. Because if you don't think you need change, you're going to fight everything Jesus is trying to do in you. But if you can get to your place of poverty, yes, I need a Savior. Yes, yes, I need you to save all of me. Yes, I'm on a journey. Then you will let Jesus lead you and let him change you. We're on a journey of transformation. We want to rethink everything in light of Jesus. And I kind of alluded to this already, but one of the places, as I was thinking through this, right, the key, one, of the, one of the ways I was thinking through this is in our current arrangement, just think about the racing metaphor. In our current arrangement, if all of us train for a race and we operate out of our current arrangement, there's only going to be one winner. And whoever wins, the rest of us are. I mean, I, whenever I watch the Olympics, I always, I always get sad because these are the greatest athletes on our planet, and they're usually a tenth of a second apart. And the person who comes in second place just did an amazing feat that none of us in this room could imagine, and they're angry because they were the first loser. Do you understand in the way that we've arranged the world, if I win, you lose? If I benefit, you suffer. Do you see why the kingdom is a different kind of arrangement that is so much better? I'm not ready to explain everything where you have a handed down faith and I can, exp- I can confess way more than I can explain. But somehow in the kingdom of God, if you are in Christ, we all win. And if you benefit, I benefit too. We're not, I mean, do you understand? It's just different. Jesus, doesn't that sound good? Jesus is rearranging the world. It's the kingdom. The second one has been very meaningful to me this year. Blessed are the, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So, so again, it's kind of crazy. The winners are those who mourn, right? But the, the winner, I mean, the winner's celebrating, not mourning. No, no, blessed are those who mourn. Now, what's the prize? What's the imperishable wreath here? It's comfort. How many of you, if I were to ask you, like, three things that you desperately want or need? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but, but honestly, Man, if I could just get some comfort. I have so much pain. I'm lonely. Well, guess what? Your prize is imperishable. Jesus has promised to comfort you. And I still think because we've been such... I was thinking about this in light of being disqualified. Let me, let me say it this way. I was telling Kimi this way. A lot has happened in this last year. And you and I have been... We have been discipled, literally to be happy all the time. And we think if we're not happy, even in, even in Christian, we're almost even worse in the church. If I don't come in and look like my life is all together, something's wrong with me, so I will at least pretend that everything is perfect, right? So I always tell people, if you're brand new to Crossview, 
I know it's normal. You look around. Everybody in here does look perfect, right? But they're not. None of us are. You're welcome here. <laughs> but I was thinking about this. So, so, so I've had a lot that has, that has hurt me, that has angered me. I don't know if you've felt anger at all, rage, venge- any vengeful thoughts cross your mind, any jealousy or bitterness or envy this year. I had some. And it, just as a Christian, I could say this, but I'll say it even more as a pastor. If I am pastoring out of vengeance, out of bitterness, out of envy, it's really hard for me to love you. And if Jesus comes to me while I'm pastoring you out of vengeance or bitterness and says, Jeff, what are you doing? I'm caught. I feel like I'm disqualified. Right? I, I've got to repent of that. I've got to confess. I've got to... I've got to readjust. But I've noticed throughout this year that if I find myself in places of anger or rage or vengeance or bitterness or envy or jealousy or whatever, and I can, again, I talk a lot about lament because it's a biblical resource. <laughs> if, I can, if I can tap into just my sorrow, my, if I can mourn the sin, mourn the sin in my life, mourn the sin in others' lives, mourn the sin in our world, and Jesus comes to me. I don't think he's coming and saying, You're, you got to sit this one out. He's like, I'm crying too, Jeff. This is hard. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's somehow, somehow more, and I'll be honest too, and you know this if you're honest, when life is going good and you're happy, what do people always tell pastors? Oh man, I, I'm not as serious about Jesus because my life is going so well. That's why sometimes if Jesus is the goal, sometimes mourning and sadness is the greatest gift we can receive. It is amazing how clarifying sadness. I've got to train some more. <laughs> oh my goodness, I've lost sight of the goal. Blessed are those who mourn. And what's the trophy? You'll be comforted by God himself. It's good news. Blessed are, I love this one, blessed are the, the meek for they inherit the earth. Again, we've been discipled to think blessed are those who take what they want. Blessed are the grasping and clutching. Right? That's, what, that's what we've been discipled in in our culture. Take what you want. It's yours if you take it. Take it before somebody else does. But I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when the disciples are either fighting with a sword or fleeing. And what does Jesus do? Jesus stays. Put your sword down, Peter. He stays, and he entrusts himself to the Father. I like to think of the meek as those who are gentle and trusting, those who are humble. And there's a lot going on that we will inherit the earth, but, but I like to think of it this way. God, and I want you to think about this in your effort to prove or perform or acquire. God will personally guarantee your fair share in his kingdom. Isn't that good news? That's a trophy. That's an imperishable wreath. It's your inheritance. God will personally guarantee it. What does he ask of you? Don't disqualify yourself. Be gentle and humble and trusting. And God will take care of you. I promise. You don't have to strive. You just trust. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who ache or yearn. How many of you have ached or yearned for justice, for the world to be set right? How's this for a trophy, an imperishable wreath? God will satisfy you. You want to be satisfied? 
God will satisfy you. God will bring perfect justice. Probably not on your timing and probably not in the ways that you might think it's best. (laughs) But he'll do it and it'll be perfect. And when you see what God has done, I promise you, because Jesus promises you, you'll be satisfied. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. I mean, sometimes I just wake up and all I can pray all day is Lord of mercy. (laughs) But that's my trophy. It's my imperishable wreath. God has said, I will give you mercy. I will give you grace. I will give you forgiveness. You probably don't have everything you need, but I will fill in the gaps. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they they will see God. They will see God when and where others don't. I know it's easy to look around at what's going on in the world right now and to operate with despair. Everything's getting worse. How are we going to get through this? But I'm telling you, Keep your eyes locked in on the goal. Let the Holy Spirit sanctify you and purify you and open your eyes, change your paradigm, and you may just see where God is at work in the world. And I know that if you can see where God is at work in the world, you will be encouraged. You will be energized. You will be strengthened when you are weak because you're not alone. And you've heard me say this. It's going to be okay. In Christ, if it hasn't finished well, it hasn't finished yet. If there's a part of your life, if there's a part of the, what's going on in our world that this, this man, it's not, it's not, it's not done yet. Jesus isn't done. He's still rearranging. The kingdom is still coming. Hang in there. Have hope. Live with hope. What a gift. What a gift. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. What's your true identity? I mean, I don't know, in, in this world where we're so confused about who we are, maybe there's no greater gift than knowing, who you tr- knowing your true self. To be esteemed by somebody you esteem, that's how you find yourself. You probably don't esteem anybody more than God, and God esteems you. God loves you. He calls you son and daughter. And not only does that matter for peace and identity and significance and value and worth, but it also gives you great purpose because you've been invited to work in the family business. Don't tell me you don't know this is a war-torn world. God has worked for you. He wants you to bring peace. You step into a war-torn situation, you bring peace. That's the family business. Your prince is the prince of peace. Bring peace. No more performing, no more proving yourself, no more living out of your false self, no more hustling for identity. You're a child of God. And then finally, and this kind of wraps it all together, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom. Again, delayed gratification, death before life, crucifixion before resurrection. We might want immediate gratification. That's just not the way of Jesus. That's the way of consumerism. It's not the way of Christianity. You've got to be able to differentiate the two in the world that we live in. And then I want to say a few words. That's the prize. I hope you, I mean, and you can sit with that some more, but that's that's Jesus' words. That's what he's promised you. And as I pray that every day, I'm like, that is what I really want. Give me mercy. Give me comfort. Satisfy my yearnings for justice. (laughs) Let me know who I am. Help me see you. I say that all the time as a pastor. Jesus, if I don't see you at work, I can't do this. Oh, there you are. Okay, I'm in. (laughs) Let me see you. I want to talk a little bit about discipline. Because it's important. It's important at Crossview. I'm not talking about short bursts of exertion. 
I'm not talking about New Year's Day resolutions that are done by January 12th, right? I'm talking about living this Jesus life every day. Self-control in all things, Paul says. When I talk about the disciplines, I mean a whole bunch of things. We can talk about your reading the Bible. And if you haven't read the Bible, start with the gospel. Start with the story of Jesus. Start with the gospel of John. And read them all. Read all the gospels. Get to know Jesus. He is the ultimate expression of who God is. And then read the rest of the Bible. It's amazing. It's a narrative. It'll help you understand humanity and who you are and who God is and what awaits you. And prayer and pray and and serve others. That's a discipline. And practice solitude and silence. That's my least favorite. Practice fasting, practice worship, practice frugality, practice generosity. We train in these in our discipleship pathway, but practice the disciplines. I was reading a book, a book I hadn't read for a while, but I like what the author said. He used a bunch of metaphors, and this passage in Paul is so filled with metaphors. I liked it. The author says, spiritual discipline has a goal, but it is attainable only by God's grace. It takes hard work, but it does not function as the primary means of reaching the goal. This is because when we use spiritual discipline, we first have to acknowledge the existence of the God who rules the universe, who has revealed himself in Jesus, and who purposes to make us like himself. I love this. If God is God, and if he is truly good, then our reaching up to him is not nearly as important as his reaching down to us how i think about the disciplines i'm reaching up to god but that's not nearly as important as him reaching down to me the goal of such discipline is not to earn anything i say it as a quote from another author but grace is opposed to merit not effort you never are earning you're not performing you're not earning salvation it always comes as a as a free gift in christ but it doesn't mean there's no effort or training or discipleship in god our our um The goal of such discipline is not to earn anything, but to receive what God offers. Our efforts, however necessary they are, do not matter as much as his do. It's all about God. He's committed to us and wants to give us life. Spiritual discipline puts us in a posture to receive what he freely offers. So here you go. Two metaphors. Practicing spiritual discipline is like cupping our hands to drink from a cold mountain stream. The posture is important. But the refreshment comes from the water, not from the hands themselves. Cupped hands and an open mouth are channels to get the water from the stream into the mouth. That's all they do. Or spiritual discipline is like sailing. If the wind represents the grace of God and the distant shore represents our destination, the goal of Christ-likeness, then the sail represents spiritual discipline. It catches the grace of God as the sail catches the wind and so moves us toward maturity. Both wind and sail are necessary to get the boat to the other side, but the wind is primary. It is the power. To believe that the hoisting of the sail merited or caused the blowing of the wind would be ludicrous. I also like this picture. I like picturing this. Likewise, it would be foolish to think that if a person blew into a sail, he could propel the boat to the other side like getting a sailboat to go. But equally absurd, however, would be the opposite error, to refuse to put up a sail because, after all, nothing but the wind could drive the boat to the other shore anyway. Discipline is necessary, but God's grace is primary. By practicing discipline, we receive and benefit from his grace. Discipline always looks beyond itself to God and his gifts. 
Because God is always the end. He's always the goal. The disciplines become a means to the end. And I've talked about this a bit, but, but, but as I've pastored at Crossview, the number one thing, as I've just sat with people in our church, the number one thing that I've heard from people is I know this in my head, but I have trouble believing it in my heart. And that's one of the ways I like to talk about the disciplines. For me, the, the daily practice of the disciplines is the bridge where I'm, 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 I'm raising my sail, I'm cupping my hands, and that is where the Holy Spirit begins to move these truths I've learned from my, in my head down into my heart. So I live as if they're true. I believe them. I trust them. I live as if they're true. So we're going to practice that throughout the summer. I got a, a, another week or so of formed. And then on Wednesday nights, probably in two weeks, I'm going to do maybe like a community night here. And whether you, I mean, we'll, we'll be in the sanctuary and I'll work with whether you have masks or not. Don't worry about it. There's going to be plenty of space. But I'm going to invite you on Wednesday nights to come. I think we're hungry for community. I'm going to try to create a space. But it's not just fellowship for the sake of fellowship. It's got a goal in mind. We're aiming at Jesus and we're going to train. And we'll practice some of the disciplines. We'll practice prayer. Maybe we'll do some Bible stuff. We'll we'll practice some of the disciplines together. And I'm also going to practice. The other thing that that I've learned that has helped me move stuff from my head to my heart is what I call processing kairos moments. Where the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives. And we slow down. And it, again, as I watch our church practice this together, I don't know anything that will get you to learn, to go deeper with other people than if I facilitate times where you guys go through Kairos moments together. So look for that over the summer. But I want to end with this. Whenever Jesus shows up, Jesus changes everything. If Jesus is on the scene, sick people get healthy. If Jesus is on the scene, broken people get put back together. If Jesus is on the scene, sinners get forgiven. If Jesus is on the scene, those who are exhausted or overburdened or anxiety-ridden or filled with stress find rest. If Jesus shows up, things don't stay the same. Jesus is always on the move changing things, reorganizing things in the name of love and in the name of Jesus. Would we be the kind of people and the kind of church that says, amen, and come, Jesus. Come and change things, rearrange things so that we can be blessed in your kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we are so grateful We're near the end of our service, but we're not there yet. So I pray, I'll kind of end this part with how I began. I pray that you would remind us of our first love. I pray, Lord, that if it's true in our hearts, maybe we're, maybe we're on the beginning of this journey and we're just, but we feel, we feel it. Even as I'm praying this, we feel in our hearts, yes, there's something about Jesus. There's something about Peter saying, Lord, to whom else would I go? You alone. I've tried other things. You alone have the words of eternal life. Would we, would we reawaken to that so that this love changes the way that we live, changes our weekly routines, that, that we're willing to even organize our lives differently because you are our goal, you are our purpose, you are, because we want you more than anything else. And even as we worship and just continue this morning for a few more minutes, would you guide us and comfort us and minister to us in your name we pray. Amen.